when we speak about the seven biblical feast days, the feast of Shavuot, also famously known as the festival of Pentecost, is especially important for the very simple reason that it is the last feast of all the feasts right now that we have that have been fulfilled. You see, of the feasts, we have the spring festivals. That is the feast of Passover, the feast of unleavened bread. Then we have the feast of first fruits, the counting of the Omer, as well as then the feast of Shavuot. And what what was the last thing that Messiah told us? What did Jesus say before he left? Well, he talked about something in relation to this feast. He told us, go into all the world, proclaiming the gospel, baptizing them, teaching them all that I have commanded you. But all of these things he is speaking in a context of the Feast of Shavuot, because all of these things can only be done after the event of Shavuot happened. That thing that he told them to wait for in Jerusalem, that thing that he said is the reason for him being good to go for. You remember what he said when the disciples were inwardly perplexed, hearing that he will be leaving them. What is the thing that he said? No, 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 no. You guys don't understand. It is good that I go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit cannot be sent to you. But if I go, he will descend. And so in light of Shavuot being the last feast fulfilled, and that is where the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts 2, we need to really pay attention to it to see what was what did it entail? What was fulfilled? What is the message the Messiah left us with? Because He's going to be referring back to all of the responsibilities he's giving us today and that he gave us starting at the Feast of Shavuot when we see him again. Of course, the Holy Spirit, as many of us know, was poured out in the book of Acts chapter two on this feast of Shavuot, also known as Pentecost. And Many of us may also know and agree with the notion that the Holy Spirit is an integral part of the life of any believer. However, I want to submit something to you. Sometimes what we have done, and this is an unfortunate thing, but nevertheless, it has happened through various denominations, but not all various movements but not all. Nevertheless, sometimes the Holy Spirit is kind of seen as a lesser. Sometimes in our mind, we think of the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus Christ. We we think of the Father and they're up there and it's amazing. They're right where they need to be. But sometimes the Holy Spirit receives a lesser degree of attention. It's kind of like he takes a sideline position with regards to our faith. He he's oftentimes simply seen as our conscience or, you know, the one who tells us what's right and wrong. And, and that's certainly part of what he does. 
but I want to submit to you that minimizing him to a mere person on the sideline is really going to cause us to miss out a lot in terms of our relationship with God. Because I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, they are all one. They are all one. They're all part of who God is. And so that means that when we do not have the Holy Spirit operating in our lives the way that Scripture teaches us he's supposed to, we will be missing out on a big part of who God is. And so today we're going to talk about what does Scripture teach regarding the Holy Spirit's work in our lives? What is that supposed to look like? How do we walk in it? And I want to submit to you, it's so important. I remember a few weeks ago, I was in a town called Winchester here in Virginia, uh, up visiting some of uh, our family. I was there with my wife and we went to the downtown of Winchester, just walking through, looking at some of the shops, It's just some interesting things. Right. And we walked into this beautiful antique store and this was a really, really beautiful store. Um, amazing. I love old things and I'm really just like looking through it. And and as I'm walking through the store, you know, we greeted the lady who owns the store. She's there at the, you know, the entrance and we're just walking through it. And, and the, the Holy Spirit whispers to me and he says, give the owner $50. And I'm like, I'll be honest, I'm okay. I'm walking through and I'm, I'm like, okay, this just hit me. And I'm just like, and, and I'm kind of like confused because let me tell you why I'm walking through the store and I'm looking at all these things and they're, they're expensive things. They're very fancy things. They're, you know, they're things that, I mean, I couldn't afford most of these things. And I'm just thinking like, why would I give, what would $50 do? to help this lady, even if she did need it. Not that I think she does, but even if she did, she would, she would probably laugh at what I have to give her. You know what I mean? And, and I'll be honest, all these thoughts that are coming after the Holy Spirit came and gave me this word. It's just the enemy, right? He comes to try and just always um, pour water over the fire of the Holy Spirit. He was always trying to quench the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But nevertheless, as I walked out, I was confused with by this word, but I walked out and, and, and as I were walking by the, you know, the lady were about to head out, I just stopped and I'm like, I just ask her, so how's business? Right. And she's like, talk, telling us this long story about how things aren't going well and how she's struggling and how, you know, all these things. And, and, and I am like, OK, cool. And I'm like, OK, well, I think that this word is starting to make sense. Right. But that's not the end of it. Then as I, I ask her, hey, can I can I pray for you? Can we pray about this? And she says, yes, of course, that'd be wonderful. And I'm like. And as I just look at her, I'm asking the father, Lord, is there anything else just in the back of my mind? Right. And she tells me, uh, excuse me, the father tells me, he says her back. And I, and I ask her just, hey, also, is there anything wrong with her back? And she tells me this. She says the night before. She was doing extra work because she's struggling so much with her keeping her shop open. She's doing extra work after hours, lifting heavy things. And because of that, she hurt her back last night. 
do you see what's happening here? The father is saying first to me, she's struggling financially. Give her something, a token of hope. And then he says, oh, by the way, so something else that happened in relation to her, her, her worries with the finances. And that is that she even hurt her back trying to do it alone, trying to, to make a way, right? And the father knows all of this about her and I don't know her. I have no idea who she is. I never met her before, but now the father gave me a download and suddenly I'm standing before her. I took her hand. I say, father, thank you, God, that you're taking that pain now. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this $50, which is not a lot of money, maybe to her. Maybe it is. Who cares? But nevertheless, it's a token of hope where the father is saying, I see you. I see your struggles. I see that you're trying to work hard and you even hurt your back. And I don't want that to happen. Here is a new back for you. And God took her pain. And she's like, I don't even want to take this money. And I say, well, you have to because it's from the father. It's not from me. And we walked out praising God. We know we prayed for her, etc. And we walked out praising God. And I just thought like, wow. If I hadn't been obedient, if I hadn't listened to his voice, if I had thought that he's only someone who would convict me of my sin and that's all he's supposed to do, go sit on the bench, Holy Spirit. You're not allowed to push me. You're not allowed to take me out of my comfort zone. If I, if that's the box I put him in, I'd walk out of that place as a believer, as having truth in me. But with, I would walk out of the presence of this woman who needs hope and I would fail my mission. Because brothers and sisters, this is, and I'm not boasting in myself. I'm boasting in him because he's the one who told me he's the one who gave, who, who, who loves her so much to do this for her. But if we don't, if we're not obedient, if we don't listen, we will have to answer for it. I know that's a hard one, but here's the th reality of it. The Messiah said, go out into the world, proclaim the gospel, the hope, the good news of who I am. That's your job. What is the use that I have all this truth revealed to me? The father shows me the beauty of his commandments. The father shows me the beauty of instructions, the beauty of his son, the, all these amazing things. Yet I never do anything with it except keep it for myself. Wouldn't that make me the most selfish person in the world? If I knew if I had something that meant that someone can be set free from chains of bondage, that someone can receive freedom and hope and even something like eternal salvation, but I don't open my mouth and tell them. Wouldn't that make me selfish? So you see, brothers and sisters, he said, that's the last thing he said, go out into the world. And I want to submit to you that one of the first things that he may just bring up is, did you, did you go out into the world? Did you open your mouth and speak? Did you speak truth? Did you speak of me? Or did you keep all of that? I gave you all the treasures just to yourself. John 16 verse seven says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
It's amazing. He's saying it is to your advantage that I go away. It is a perk to you for me to go away because the helper, the Holy Spirit will come to you. Why is it to the advantage of even the disciples, even the ones who walked face to face with the Messiah? It's to their advantage for him to go away and the Holy Spirit to come. That's who he was talking to. But why? How can the Holy Spirit be even more advantageous for them to have than a face to face with the Messiah in the flesh? That's what he is saying. Because it means that at all times, all of the disciples, every individual will be able to have a very personal, intimate connection to God, where he will be able to be with them in them, flow out of them wherever they go, whether they're walking through an antique store, whether they're doing groceries, whether they're doing like an outreach whether whatever they're doing, he is in them, speaking to them. He's not just now some man in the flesh, which that was amazing, but that was a time. Now he can be in all of us all wherever we go. And not only that, now we can go and do this thing where we lay hands on those who are sick or even those who who are believers, but or, or new believers who don't have the Holy Spirit and we can let them receive it. Because that's part of what we see happen in the New Testament with Paul and many of the disciples. They let their hands be placed on others and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we can do too. Let's read further on what the Bible says the Holy Spirit does for us. We also read that the Holy Spirit gives us Jesus's character and fruits. That's Galatians 5 verse 22. Have you ever met anyone who don't really have good fruit. I don't really have the character of the Messiah, even though they have all the belief and truth. They may believe he is the Messiah. They may even believe in keeping his commandments, but their character and fruit is rotten. It doesn't look anything like him. It furthermore says that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, Acts 9:31. Also our the convictor of sin, John 16 verse 8. So the Holy Spirit convicts us when we do sin, like he does prick our conscience, like we talked about earlier. That's certainly what he does. But he also uh, comforts us when we do fall and repent. He also comforts us when we are in distress and, and worry and hurt. He comes over us and gives us peace. The Holy Spirit also empowers us to keep his commandments by writing it on our hearts. Jeremiah 31 verse 31. This is huge because before the Holy Spirit was poured out where people could get baptized in the Holy Spirit and all of that, we really struggled to be obedient. Just look at the Exodus account. Just look at how the people were unable to be obedient for the most part. But now when the Holy Spirit comes and fills us, he actually puts a power in us that empowers us to be obedient like our Messiah Yeshua was. And that's a big deal because you can try and keep commandments, but you fail, 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 fail because you're trying to do it by your own ability instead of by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, trusting in God to do so. And then you will really struggle. And then last, but certainly not least, what the Holy Spirit also does is he comes and brings with him spiritual giftings. Now, I don't know about you, but 
as far as I know, I think this is one of the areas that is oftentimes the biggest lacking in our life. Sometimes we like to have Holy Spirit around as maybe a convictor of sin. We love to rely on him to keep his commandments. And, and these are all good things, of course. Glory to God. But when it comes to his spiritual gifts, Holy Spirit, you just stay right there. You don't come near me with those spiritual gifts because those things are uncomfortable. <laughs> I know that's not what we may say, but that's what we do sometimes. Because let's be honest, it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's weird. And that's what the Bible teaches. It says that the spiritual gifts and the works of the spirit is at enmity with the carnal mind, with the flesh. Our flesh, our mind does not like spiritual things. I want to submit especially spiritual gifts. That's why you don't like doing things as basic as reading your Bible or praying. And that's why you even more don't like doing things like going and praying for someone, laying your hands on the sick or being vulnerable in that way because your flesh doesn't like it. And brother, sister, let's just be honest. We don't have to be like, no, 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 because this is what a suffering. This is a, a, a thing that we all will struggle with. But that doesn't mean that we should all be overcome by it. We must know it and see it and then overcome it because God has called us to a higher thing than to be in bondage by our flesh, by our, our image, by how would people think of us, by whatever else, our pride. We have been called to a higher calling to serve his kingdom. And that means we need to die to ourselves in order to do it because you can't live for yourself and worship his kingdom at the same time because he's going to start asking you to give things up like what people think of you or whatever to to enable to 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 be led by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into things that your flesh doesn't want to go to. So some of the spiritual gifts that the father lays out in his word for us is the following. The word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now I want you to just have a look at this list. Just really Look at these and then ask the father, Lord, which one of these, which two, which three of these, however many do you want me to pursue? Because we are all called to be filled by spiritual gifts because the Holy Spirit brings with him spiritual gifts. And yes, sure, you may not have all of them because we they're called gifts for a reason. What is a gift? If I had a gift in writing, that means I'm very good at it. It means I may be write many books. It means right that, that's what I'm good at. If I'm gifted in playing baseball, I'm very good at it. I can play better baseball than any other kid on the block, right? That's what it means to be gifted in something. And so I want to submit, though, that just because also you're not gifted in something doesn't mean that you can never walk it out. If I told you, please fill out this form for me. You look at the form and you say, I can't fill it out. Sorry, I'm not gifted in writing. That would be ridiculous, right? I would say, what do you mean? Didn't you go to school? 
Yes, that's where you learn to write. You may not be gifted, you may not write many books and be an author, but you can write. If I ask you, hey, let's just play a hoop of base, baseball or I mean, basketball, um, are you going to tell me, no, 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 I'm not gifted in it? No, you can throw, you can try, you may not be good at it, but you can try. And the same way, brothers and sisters, we need to get this with the spiritual gifts. Oh, so often I see people saying, oh, that's not my gift, that's not my gift. And oftentimes they say it because out of fear, they say it because it makes them uncomfortable and all the other reasons we just discussed. The flesh doesn't like it. And because of that, we chicken out of it. And we won't, you don't want anyone to look at that way. I want you to challenge yourself. I want you to let the father tell you and then you do what he said, no matter how you feel about it. Because God will oftentimes highlight gifts to us, say, I want you to walk in this. And that may be the thing that you feel the weakest in. That may be the thing that you feel like you could never do, but this is the whole point. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit in and through you. So stop trying by that whole argument of, oh, I'm weak in that. By that whole argument, you are misled to think that you're the one who's supposed to do it. But you fail to understand that it is the Holy Spirit who works in and through you. You only need to take the first step. You only need to step forward and say, yes, I am a soldier willing to step into this battle with you, Father. Or you can stay back like the cowards ought to and go home. But if you feel like you're called to battle, step forward and say, Father, here I am. Whatever gift you have for me, I will walk in. Even if I don't feel comfortable, even if I feel weak, if you feel weak in it, glory to God. Because then you'll be all the more stronger for it. And so these gifts are there for the empowerment of the body of Christ. That means that we, we minister to each other. And then we also use them to minister to people outside the body, people who aren't believers yet, to do what we know as evangelism. Have you ever saw or read about someone who who was trying to do evangelism, but they don't believe in the gifts of the spirit. There are many people out there. Many people believe the gifts of the spirit has ceased, right? Or any of that stuff. We don't we know that's not true. But what we see is when people believe that their evangelism may be good. They may reach many people. Glory to God. But it'll be hampered. It'll be it will, they won't be as fruitful as they would have been if they actually embraced the spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit wanted to impart to them. And so my point in saying this is that there is evangelism will not be the evangelism that our Messiah or his disciples walked in. If we deny spiritual gifts, if or if you don't walk them out, if you don't walk out evangelism with spiritual gifts, you will struggle. You may win a soul, but it won't be as effective because God gave us these things as tools for the job so we can be more effective. Imagine if I walked into that store, that antique store, but I was able, I didn't believe that God could give me a word of knowledge about the, the money problem that she had or her back. Then I would just walk out of there and have no idea how to get to her heart. Because see, these things allow us to get to the hearts of these people. I had a minute, I, I got a word of knowledge. I applied it and then there was a gift of healing following that. And then I could give her a word of wisdom after prayer. And there's all there's three spiritual gifts right there. That was in that in the 15 minutes that we were busy there. 
But if we remove those spiritual gifts, if we say, no, we're not going to do that, or, or we, we don't walk them out because we don't seek them, we will struggle so much to reach people around us. Because I would have just walked out of that antique store with no idea of anything because I wouldn't be open to his workings. Because see, brothers and sisters, he's not just going to, uh, he's not going to use you in any spiritual gift unless you allow him to, unless you open yourself up to that. Because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's gonna let, He's gonna guide you. He's gonna push you. He's gonna be let you be bold. But he's not gonna do things that you don't allow him to do. You need to allow him to work through you. Let's look at what Paul said in one Corinthians two verse three. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Have you ever heard a message that's given by maybe a, a preacher or a teacher or someone and they're, they're talking very eloquently, but you can just sense that there is no Holy Spirit in there. There is no Holy Spirit in his words. There's no Holy Spirit in his actions. There's none of that. He's there's just wisdom of men. Right. And that's oftentimes what happens is, is when we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. If we don't understand him, we don't we, we let him sit on the bench on the sideline, but nothing more. We will ha- struggle to see people repent around us of their sins. Paul said it wasn't just about wise words for him. He said, in fact, no, I did not come to you with that but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. Try doing a demonstration of spirit and power without spiritual gifts. You cannot. You cannot. You need him so much. You need him. See, brothers and sisters, the obvious thing that we may think of doing when we receive truth is we want to simply use our wisdom to try and relay that truth to someone. And that's good. Like we ought to want to do that. But if we do that without the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit working in our life and in order to relay this, people won't want to hear what we have to say. There was a reason that miracles was on the forefront of the Messiah and the disciples ministries. There is a reason that we see supernatural things following. There is a reason that we see spiritual gifts follow their lives in various ways, whether it's the Apostle Paul, the other apostles of Peter and John, etc. They had these gifts follow them continuously because that opened doors. You know, like imagine, for example, just think of Yeshua with the Samaritan woman at the well, why he told her, all the things about her that he was not supposed to know. Right. And she even went to the people evangelizing to them. One of the first things she did was tell them the Messiah or this guy, he came to me and he was like a prophet because he told me everything about me. He knew it all. He's not supposed to know it because Yeshua was exercising a spiritual gift of a word of knowledge. How in the world would he be able to reach that woman if he had not had spiritual gifts. How in the world would Moses be able to make a dent in Pharaoh to let Israel go if he had not exercised spiritual gifts? He did. 
One of the first things he did was exercise spiritual gifts, miracles. God gave him the gift of miracles at the burning bush, where he took his rod, turned into a snake. He turned water um, into blood. All these things. How otherwise, how would it have happened? This was the demonstration of the Spirit. Moses needed it. All the disciples needed it. Yeshua needed it. Don't tell me you don't. Don't tell me you can try and do it without that. Don't think you can. You will struggle. You will struggle. You may get some success, but you will struggle. And you will be held accountable for denying His works, His his gift in your life, because it's a talent that He has reserved for you. And if if He gives you a talent, but you bury it because of your fear, will that master not come back looking for His investment? Will He not come back asking, what did you do with what I gave you? What will you have to say? Or will you today pick up your cross and say, God, here I am. This is your feast. Give me all there is to give. Because that's what he did in Acts 2. Let's read it. Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, one of the most interesting and perhaps strangest parts of this event is these divided tongues of fire that rested on each and every one of them. Oftentimes it's spoken of this fire, but but what is this fire really about? We actually know that John the Baptist prophesied regarding this event in Acts 2. He said the following in Matthew 3 verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with the unquenchable fire. So John talks about this one who will come, that is the Messiah, to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, this is something that John says he's not going to be able to do, but the Messiah will. And he also says that this will be a dividing thing, that he has a withering a, a fork in his hand and he is going to divide the wheat from the chaff. He's going to burn that which is not his and that which is his will be preserved. Now, the significance of fire being used here is deep and incredibly profound. But for us to understand it, we need to go back to really talk about baptism and water and spirit, because this is something that's been there. This the idea of it has been there from the beginning of our Bibles. We read, for example, in um, two Peter of the the water and fire baptism that will even sweep across the earth itself. Two Peter three verse six says, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was de luged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So we know that the first 
baptism of the earth was with Noah's flood where the entire earth was filled with water. And then it's talked about that there will be a fire baptism of the earth that is still to happen, which is the end where all of the earth will be burned up. We also read about water and spirit or fire baptism within the Levitical priesthood. For example, in Leviticus 8 verse 6, the Levitical priests would need to get water mikvahed, that is baptized, as they perform their duties and especially even as they are inaugurated to become priests. The word baptism simply means immersion. And in terms of the fire baptism within the Levitical priesthood, what would often happen is that the sacrifices offered would be consumed by fire. We read an example in Leviticus 9.24, And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Okay, so... The Lord comes and the final step of that offering is when the fire came to take and burn up that sacrifice, that offering. And I want to contrast this with Nadab and Abihu because they did the same. They made an offering. But when the fire of the Lord came, it not only came to the offering, but it destroyed Nadab and Abihu and they died themselves as well. So. We see that when a priest makes an offering, a Levite priest makes an offering there, when it's a clean, undefiled offering, the fire comes to the offering. But if it's a defiled offering, if it's a strange offering, like with Nadab and Abihu, they then they die. The fire comes straight to them and they just died. John the Baptist said that Yeshua will come with a fire baptism with a withering fork. He will divide the defiled from the undefiled, those who are for him from those who are not. Similarly, when we look at Noah's flood, we had the water baptism. Those who were defiled died in the flood. Those who were undefiled, which was Noah and his family, survived. And then we have the Levitical priesthood sacrifices. Those who were undefiled and made offerings survived and the offering was accepted. Those who were defiled, on the other hand, like Nadab and Abihu, they died when they made an offering and the fire came. And now if we fast forward to today, we can now apply this to our Messiah's priesthood. Because Peter writes to us that we all become part of this holy priesthood with him, with Yeshua. And so we have also a water baptism that is a similar to the Levitical baptism, mikvah, to become a high Levitical priest. Um, similarly, we become priests with our high priest through water baptism and that is the act of repentance apart with the immersion in water. Okay, and then there is, of course, also the fire, the spirit baptism. And this is when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit and water and fire baptism are two very separate events, separate things. And these can certainly happen at the same time. There's no nothing stopping that from happening. However, they are still two different things. 
water baptism and repentance, and Holy Spirit baptism. We see, for example, how many were baptized into Yeshua in water, even when he was here with his disciples, but only in Acts 2 were the others then baptized in the Holy Spirit. And even in Acts 2, we see that they were baptized. Many of them were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then thereafter, they were baptized in water as well. So it wasn't just one thing. There was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then after the 3000 were baptized in water as well. And so in essence, what really happens within this fire baptism, the Holy Spirit baptism, is that we, similar to those Levitical offerings, remember that we are called to be a living sacrifice. That means that the Levitical offerings that we just read about is a picture of us, what we are supposed to be. We are all living sacrifices. Our lives are supposed to be a sweet swelling aroma to the Father. So this is the big deal is we are then set alight in essence. We are lit up to be uh, with a fire. And those who are pure, who have a pure sacrifice, who are holy, who have good intentions and hearts before the Father, their offering will be accepted and they will live. Just like we read earlier with Noah, how they were, Noah and his family was preserved, right? Similarly, that's how we will live. But those who have defiled offerings, they will not live. A very good example of these living sacrifices we're talking about is Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Daniel 3 verse 27 and the satraps, the prefects, the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads were not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. This is exactly what it's like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because now we have a fire in the spirit coming over us. And normally a fire would destroy us because what is what is harmful, right? Yeshua, uh, God said, do not fear man, but fear the one who can throw you into the fire. So the fire is seen as this thing that can destroy us. But now with the Holy Spirit poured out on us, the fire is okay because it doesn't hurt us. And the fire represents God's power. Think about the burning bush, for example. The fire came upon the burning bush with Moses and the bush did not burn out. Just like we read with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that their bodies did not burn. They did not burn out. Their cloaks were not harmed. They were burning continuously in the hottest oven there is, but they weren't burning just like that tree. And that tree with Moses was this picture of what would not what we what would happen to us. This tree represents how we would be. We are like trees and we do not burn out when the spirit comes upon us. But if we are going to be like Ananias and Sapphira, do you remember the story in the New Testament of how they lied about their sacrifice? 
They said we, they lied about how much they were giving to God, how much their offering was to God. And what happened? God just struck them right there and they both soon thereafter died because they lied. Their sacrifice was not holy. It was defiled. You see, and now when the fire of God came upon that sacrifice, it went straight to them and they did it. They died just like we read earlier also happened um, with Nadab and Abihu. And so like all of these people, we will all be tasted with fire. 1 Peter 1 verse 7 says, so that the tasted genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tasted by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so brothers and sisters, your faith must be genuine. How genuine is it? How real is your love and relationship with God? And you may then think now, how do we offer this how do how do we have this fire in our lives? How do we have the fire of God come like what John prophesied would happen? And what Yeshua brought in Acts 2 is this fire. How do we see that in our lives? Well, Acts 2 gives us the answer. Do you remember what we read in verse 3? And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So it's interesting because it's described what the fire was. It said the divided tongues as a fire. So we know that when the Holy Spirit is poured out and it oftentimes happens throughout the scriptures is that in the lives of those upon who the Holy Spirit was poured out, spiritual giftings will soon after start manifesting. This could be the gift of tongues like we just read. It can be the gift of prophecy. It can be gifts of healing. It can be any of the list of gifts that we read in the beginning of this teaching. Nevertheless, the evidence, part of the evidence for the Holy Spirit's baptism is fruits of the spirit and spiritual giftings. This is why the fire was when they spoke in tongues or when they prophesied or when whatever spiritual gift manifested, that is the fire itself manifesting upon these people. This is also why the burning bush was burning when Moses encountered it, because what happened at the burning bush? Spiritual gifts, same thing. Think about it. The burning bush is there. What does God do? He says, Moses, pick up your staff throw it and it turns into a snake. He says, Moses, take the water, pour it out and it turns into blood. He says, Moses, put your hand in your cloak, take it out and it turns leprous and he puts it back, takes it out and it's clean. Spiritual gifts by this fire. Coincidence? No. This fire, the, the spiritual gift is the fire. That is when we exercise them. That is the fire of God coming upon our sacrifice upon which he delights when it is a pure and holy sacrifice. And this is why God says you're to be the light of the world. How can you be a light of the world without a fire? 
Because back then, when Yeshua was saying this, they didn't have electricity, right? It's like to, to have light made, you had to light a lamp with a real fire. It had to burn. And that's what we must have. You can't be a light if you have no fire. I couldn't be a light in that antique store if I had no fire, if I had no spiritual gifts manifesting in my life. Given by the giver of gifts, the Holy Spirit. We read about the fire here in Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp, a fire and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. And then just one more example to to take this all the way home. Um, in Acts 19, we read about how there was also spiritual gifts manifesting with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire upon these men. We read, Paul said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They began doing all kinds of spiritual gifts when that fire of the Holy Spirit came upon them. So as we read earlier, we will all be tasted by fire. And I want to submit to you that this is on two levels. We will be tested firstly upon whether we actually had a fire to begin with whether we were a light to the world, whether we did have a light, whether, you know, or did we have a light, but we didn't use it and we put it under a basket instead. That is, did we have whole spiritual gifts? Did we seek it out? Because the only, there's no excuse, brothers and sisters. We simply ask and we receive. We simply do and the Father gives as we go out. But if we never go out, if we never try and do, if we never seek it, we won't receive. You do not have because you do not ask. And then so we can be wrong in not actually either um, seeking it out or doing it. But we can also be wrong if we do it. But our sacrifice is defiled. If we have a fire come, which is a good can be a good thing if our sacrifice is clean. But if our sacrifice is defiled, it's not a good thing. And Yeshua talked about those who will have the fire on their sacrifice, who will have spiritual gifts, but this fire will be on a sacrifice that is defiled. It's a very famous verse. He said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father, the one who has a clean sacrifice. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do a spiritual gift in your name? Did we not have a fire? And then we cast out demons in your name. Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You failed the test of fire. Yes, there was a fire. Yes, there was manifestations of 
the spirit and all these things. There were some spiritual gift things that you guys did, but you did it while having a defiled sacrifice. While being like Nadab and Abihu, strange fire. And because of that, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I didn't know you. And so I want us to just think about, just think about a fire um, logically, practically, because I think that the reason that God tells us in his word that these things, that the Holy Spirit is like a fire and his gifts and his power is like a fire. It is because there is a connection in the world around us to what a fire is. You see, when we think about the Levitical sacrifices, they went a lot of preparation into preparing the sacrifice into making sure that the altar is clean, making sure the sacrifice is the base that we have to making sure that it is all well prepared and rounded up, ready to go. And only the, at the last step, the last moment, that is when God's fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice. Similarly, as we are all living sacrifices, we ought to live lives of preparation where we are making sure our altar, our sacrifice is prepared, that we are giving our best to God. Our lives is devoted are devoted to him. And then the last step is when the Holy Spirit then comes upon this sacrifice of ours and imparts spiritual gifts, imparts that power and everything else he brings with him. And that is it. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is actually, even though it, it ought to happen ideally in the beginning of our walk, even with Messiah, it is something that happens and starts taking us into a mature place. And it is necessary for us to mature. You cannot spiritually mature without the Holy Spirit working in your lives. And if you can't be spiritually mature if you don't have spiritual gifts operating in your life. And brothers and sisters, I know that some may think, how can you say that? Well, if you don't have any spiritual gifts working in your life, you will struggle to have even the character of our Messiah because the spiritual gifts actually produces the character of your Messiah in you. Because when you go out and you start exercising these gifts and you start loving on people the way that he did, guess what? That is what actually produces the good fruit in you and the good character in you. I remember way back when I, before I exercised any spiritual gifts, I was, I had all this truth. But I was cold inside. I had no, I had little of his character and his love and his fruits. But it was only when I started exercising, doing the works he did, that is by his spirit too, that is his spiritual gifts working in my life. When I allowed it, when I sought it, then for the first time ever, I started actually seeing greater manifestations of his fruit and character in my life. And I'm not perfect, but his spiritual gifts takes us so much closer than we ever will be able to without it. And that's why I'm saying that you can't get to a mature state as a believer if you don't have a spiritual gift working powerfully in your life. You can't say, oh, I want to be a believer, but you deny the fire in your life. You say, I want to be a living sacrifice, but I don't want the fire of God to come. The fire of God has to come. That's the last stage. So while it is God who actually comes and brings that fire down upon that sacrifice, that doesn't mean that we don't need to do anything. I find it. I've oftentimes seen it, how people 
wait for God to do it all for them when it comes to these ideas. They're waiting for God to do something while never doing anything themselves. You do not have because you do not ask and you do not do anything towards asking. And what I mean by that, brothers and sisters, is let's just make this practical and easy to understand. When you go and make a fire in a forest, how are you going to go about doing that? You're going to first go and you're going to gather some wood. You're going to prepare. You're going to get everything together. You're going to get leaves, whatever it is that you're going to use to start your fire. And you're going to put it all on your little place. So that's what we first do is we prepare. That means we clean ourselves up. We repent of our sins. That's why water baptism was one of the first steps. Okay, we repent of our sins. We live holy lives. And then we go and we start praying and asking for the Father. We start looking at his spiritual gifts like we did earlier. And we say, Lord, what do I have to choose? And we start discovering what he has for us. And then we go. And if we want to have this fire lit, what do we do? We have to take the first step. You have to go and take a step of faith. When they went even in the Levitical priesthood to make a put an offering together, they had faith in the God they were making it to. Otherwise, why would they do it? Right. The, the first step is you have to have faith. So because you have faith, you're now going to believe he wants you to walk in in, in that fire. He wants you to have the fire. He wants you to walk in spiritual gifts. So you're going to start walking it out. You're going to start stepping out of your comfort zone. You're going to start praying for people. You're going to start saying, Lord, show me what do you want me to know about this person? Otherwise, how will you receive a word of knowledge if you don't ask? If you want to pray for someone to get, see someone get healed, how will you see it without prayer? If you want to cast out demons, how will you see it without casting them out? If you want to speak in tongues, how will you see it without opening your mouth to speak? How will you see that happen? Because see, it is the first step of faith and then the fire just comes. Because it's not you who does the spiritual gifts, it's Him in you. But you need to take the first step for Him to step up and say, Yes, now I can work through you. But if you never take the first step, He never, often never moves. And then what do we do with that fire? We have it now burning. We have it going because we took the first step. We asked that person, can we pray for them or whatever it is. And now we get wood to make sure that it keeps burning continuously, that the fire does not go out. Because if you get your fire going and start it, but you just leave it out, you can just wait an hour and that fire is dead. Right? It, it doesn't last that long without intervention. You need to go and put more wood on it soon. That means you need to continue pruning. You need to continue working. You need to continue stepping out. You need to continue being a living sacrifice for the fire to continue to come. So oftentimes I've seen people coming with and then they receive glory to God. They receive a spiritual gift. They start walking it out and then they just let their fire die out because the world's distractions come along. But don't let yours go out. Let it burn continuously. You see, brothers and sisters, I remember personally, I in the beginning of my walk with this whole thing, with my relationship with not just God, but even more specifically, his Holy Spirit. I remember there was no one around me, no one who had the same desire, even in my circles where I was back then years ago. And I remember 
going out on my own on the streets no one around me just and i was I, I wanted this thing so much i knew it was in the bible and true so i needed it in my life i needed to look like my messiah so i wouldn't take no for an answer so i put myself out there and i put, stepped out and i said lord here i am use me and i just started praying for someone i i started doing i just started telling people god loves them i just started doing little things and a lot of times I didn't see anything happen, but sometimes I did. And then other times I did again. And then I saw things happen more and more and more and more and more because I continued to let this fire grow. But I had to take the first step. And so, brothers and sisters, as you can hear, this is a very important topic. And for that reason, I want to spend some more time talking about the barriers that can oftentimes be in our lives that prevents the Holy Spirit from working in our lives. Sometimes we can know all the truth, but we may, if we don't see the barrier, we don't see the problem in our lives, then we may struggle to see him work because we don't address the issues. First off, I want to talk about how we shouldn't be working for the Holy Spirit. I remember not long ago, I spoke to a man and we were talking about casting out demons. And I asked him, have you ever casted out a demon before? And he said, no, he hasn't. And I asked him, why not? And he said, well, I think that I need to first grow more. I need to do more works. I need to keep more commandments. I need to be uh, doing a lot more stuff first so I can grow to a place spiritually so that I can now be qualified, basically, to be able to cast out a demon sometime in the future, maybe. And I think that this idea, what he said there, is very common. Oftentimes we think of the Holy Spirit and his spiritual gifts and we think of it as this, wow, like you, you need to do so much stuff. You need to work so hard for it. you need to be so perfect and holy. Like, and then his Holy Spirit will work on us. He will, he will then be able to, we will then be able to cast out a demon. But this is a grave error. And I want to submit to you that if you believe that, that may just be the thing that completely stops the Holy Spirit from working in and through you. Because here's the thing, brothers and sisters. If you believe that it is by your works, it is by the things you do, it's by how holy you are or whatever, by your works, that the Holy Spirit works through you, then you don't really need the Holy Spirit because then you'll be able to be so perfect and holy that you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit is given to us. But if we are holy, we don't obviously need someone else like the Holy Spirit because we can do it ourselves because we then have this mentality that we can work towards it. What does the scripture teach? Didn't Abraham get saved through faith? by his belief in God. And similarly, did not the 3000 who got saved in Acts 2 receive the spirit by belief? Did they all work up towards this standard of incredible, holy living where they were perfect, sinless people and then the Holy Spirit came upon them? No, if we could work hard enough to receive the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't need him because we would then be good enough without him. We'd be fine without him. 
But that's not the case. We do need him because we aren't good, because we do have issues, but he makes us better. That's the point. And on top of this, if we had to be perfect and sinless, then he wouldn't be working through any of us because we all have sin. None of us are as perfect as our Messiah was. But that's why he died. He died to tear the veil. He died so that the Holy Spirit can come because we are now made clean by his blood. And now the Holy Spirit can indwell us and we are not burned up. And we are able to burn and be alive still for him. Galatians 3 verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? If you are to give a gift to your son and your son says, no, 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 I insist. I will work for this. I will go and do all these chores. I will go and is that gift still a gift if he gets it because of his chores? No, that's then simply like a salary for his work. A gift is something that is received without working for it. That is what the Holy Spirit is. He is a gift from our Father. Now, that doesn't mean that works aren't important. Of course, we ought to have good works. We ought to keep his commandments and live like he did, walk like he did. And that's so important for a holy living. But the point is simply that it is not by our works that we receive salvation. And similarly, it's not by our works that we receive the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I want to talk about our expectations in receiving the Holy Spirit, because I found that sometimes the issue is not that someone hasn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but rather that they are baptized, but they don't realize it because their expectations of what it's supposed to be like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is not right. The reality is, is if you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, God will certainly, you will certainly feel bold. You will certainly have a boldness that wasn't there before. But it doesn't mean that you're not going to still have fear in those moments. And another expectation that's not good is sometimes people think it has to be this big wow moment where I have to feel like butterflies or something. I have to feel something when I got baptized. Me personally, I didn't feel anything. I started seeing the fruits of the baptism of the Spirit in my life, and that's how I knew it happened. But I only knew it happened because I started walking it out. I started stepping outside of my comfort zones as He led me and started being more like Yeshua by my own choice and decisions. And then because of my decisions, He empowers me to continue doing so and walking in it out, walking it out. So the flesh will still try to rule. You will still not feel like you want to pray for someone or or step out in this or that way. You're not going to feel like it. If you go on your feelings, you're never going to do anything for the kingdom of God because you're never going to feel like it. In fact, you'll oftentimes feel the complete opposite. And you're also, you need to understand that he does give boldness, but you need to be bold. He does give boldness, but you need to make decisions towards boldness. You need to make bold decisions. Because even though he gives you boldness, you can still choose to not be bold. It also doesn't mean that I'm not going to, everyone I'm going to pray for is suddenly going to get healed. Or every time I try and do this or that uh, spiritual gift, I'm always going to be right. It's always going to be good and everything's going to be perfect. No, on the contrary, you're going to see a lot of things 
not go the way that you envisioned it to go. But that doesn't mean necessarily that you were not baptized in the spirit. There were many times I've prayed for people where they didn't get healed, but there were many times I did that where they did get healed. And those times make it all worth it. There were times where the disciples prayed and or casted out demons and things didn't happen the way they wanted it to. Does it mean they didn't get the Holy Spirit? No, there are other reasons, but it doesn't always mean it's because you don't have the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you may say, oh, well, but PD, I don't see what I should see. I don't see whatever. But why do you let what you see with your eyes determine what the Bible says you should see? Since when do you walk by sight and not by faith in what the word says you're supposed to see? Once you start believing more what the word says you're supposed to see, it'll become more of your reality. But because you put more faith in this thing that you see around you by your flesh, you're just going by your flesh and you're not actually putting faith in what the word says. And that's why you don't see what the word says. But if you start continuously going and walking out these things and saying, Lord, I need to see this. I need to see this. I may not see it right now, but the word says I'm supposed to. So I'm going to go until I do. That's the kind of people who do see things. The number three barrier that I want to talk about is that the Holy Spirit is not controlled by us. We are people who love to be in control. You love to have things go the way that you want and planned. And if it doesn't, it's nerve wracking sometimes. But that's not how God always works. Sometimes God has a different plan. And sometimes that plan is not in your mind, not even near what you had envisioned. But nevertheless, it's his plan. And so if and often I want to say that the Holy Spirit actually does do that often. He sometimes just does something different than what we planned. So he doesn't always follow our scripts. He doesn't always follow our church programs. And I think sometimes the rigidness that we love, which can be good, there's nothing wrong with structure. But if we don't, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to, if he wants to, break free from structure once in a while, he we may limit him from actually working the way he wants because we need to keep to our structure. A good example practically of this is if a church or a fellowship has a very rigid structure, that can be good because everyone knows what's going on, but they need to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. If the Holy Spirit decides we want I want to pray, I want I want you guys to pray for people now, I want people to get healed, or I want people to now prophesy, I want people to give words of knowledge, I want people to come up and speak in tongues and interpretation of tongues to be given. I want these things to happen. But we say no because that's not our plan in the church schedule. We are actually now working against Holy Spirit's plans. So we need to be open to what he wants to do at all times and welcome it. Think of this, brothers and sisters. Acts 2 didn't have any financial board meeting. It didn't have any church program. They didn't have any event coordinators and they didn't have any marketing. But Acts 2 happened regardless. There's nothing wrong per se with any of those things. But those things aren't the secret. Knowing Holy Spirit and allowing Him to move is the secret. Even if that means that we relinquish control of our own plan sometimes. Holy Spirit is supposed to be like our autopilot. And what I mean by that is when we talk about modern planes, 
They fly themselves these days. Our planes are all flown by computers. The, the pilot simply takes it off the runway, he presses a button, and the plane flies itself to the other destination, and then they just land it again. That's how we are supposed to be. We take off, we take the first step, we do what he called us to do, but then when we're in it, when we're in the air, we relinquish control, we give Holy Spirit autopilot control, and we let him fly us to the next destination. That's how we ought to operate. And then when we come back down, we take back control and we end off everything. And we're like, wow, that was amazing. That was so amazing. Everything that just happened because he was flying. Holy Spirit was flying. And when he flies, things go well. But you need to be a living sacrifice. Give up control. Don't be controlled and don't by fear and don't let fear dictate your decisions and because Holy Spirit sometimes going to do things that may even inspire like a fear. Or what are people going to think? Or, you know, we haven't done this before. You know, are we going to lose some tithings or, you know, whatever it is, leave those fears behind. Be bold because we can also then ultimately just be um, led by unbelief, just like the disciples were when they tried to cast out that demon. And because of it, the demon didn't leave. So we need to start to, to get rid of if you struggle with fear, if you struggle with unbelief, if these are things keeping you captive, fast and pray, fast and pray. We need to be living lifestyles of fasting. If you're watching this and you want to walk in the Holy Spirit and his uh, fire, his spiritual gifts, as we've been talking, I hope you're fasting. Because we ought to fast oftentimes so we can make sure that our flesh is out of our way so that we are not ruled by it. And then last but not least, what I want to talk about in terms of barriers is simply that Holy Spirit loves to work within our weaknesses. So oftentimes I think that this is the case. God simply loves to work in our weakness. But we don't like that. What was one of the first things that Moses told God after God gave him his commission? God came and he gave Moses spiritual gifts. He told Moses what to do with it. And Moses said, no, I am weak in this area of speaking. I am weak in this area of being this leader that you want me to be, God. I can't do it. Send Aaron instead. Right? That was his first reaction. And oftentimes that is one of our first reactions is God comes and he says, I want you to walk in this spiritual gift. I want you to be a leader. I want you to be a servant. I want you to be this or that. I want you to be an encourager. I want you. Okay. It doesn't matter what he wants you to do, but it's going to be something that you're going to feel weak and most likely. And the first thing you're going to want to say is no, send someone else. No, not me. No. And then we sometimes just ignore God's call. We just don't want to walk in it. And I want to submit to you. This is probably one of the biggest reasons why people don't walk in spiritual giftings bar none is because they don't like feeling weak. They don't like going into this area where they know they're weak because fear envelops them in that area. For me, it was the case too. My biggest weakness as growing up, was public speaking. I know what do you know? Here I am before you today because that's what God called me to. But I hated public speaking. I was I was so weak in it and I 
still consider myself weak in it, but he is strong in me when I go and step up to do what he called me to do. And this is exactly what Paul said. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, not not because they limit God, but so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. He says, I am glad about my weaknesses. Not because they limit God, not because they, he's weak and he can't work for God anymore. Oh, no. But he knows he like he said, he is weak in the flesh, maybe. But that means he is strong in the spirit. If you're weak in the flesh with whatever it is, God will be strong in the spirit with you. Holy Spirit will work strongly in and through you in that area. So don't come so often like what we try and do is we try and use our weaknesses as crutches. We say, oh, I'm bad at public speaking or I'm bad at, you know, I'm writing or I'm bad at this or that thing. Or, oh, I'm bad at talking to people, so I can't do praying for people. That's weird. I can't do that. Stop using your things as crutches. Stop saying that. Because, yes, you may identify that your weakness and that's okay to be weak, but then let him be strong in you. Because if you don't allow him to be strong in you, that is you saying to God, God, I don't believe you're strong enough to be able to do this even through a weak vessel like me. If you truly believe in his word and who he is, you need to believe that he can do whatever he wants through you, even if it's something that you are weak in. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God likes to work in our weaknesses. But note, I'm not saying on our weaknesses. Holy Spirit isn't there to make your weaknesses go away. He's not there to make you a perfect man where you never feel weak again. You're still going to feel weak. He's not going to make your weakness go away. He is going to work in them and through them. He's going to work powerfully through them. So the whole point of him coming and working in our weakness is he wants to work in communion with us. Because if we if he just came and he made us strong in all the areas we need to be strong in and it's just over and we're just now good and all he doesn't need to be with us anymore. He can just go because now we're perfect. We don't need him anymore. But that's not how he works. He comes and he's in our weakness strong. And that because we need him every day, then we rely on him continually. That's what a relationship is called. When you need to rely on someone, when you trust someone, when you work in partnership with someone, God wants to work in partnership with you. And he wants to work even in your weakness. So, brothers and sisters, I think it is clear that oftentimes, and this may be true for your life, ask yourself the question, is the Holy Spirit the missing ingredient in my life? And I'm not saying you, you, you don't have him. You may very well have the Holy Spirit. You may be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. But are, is he actually in your life? Is he actually actively in your life like we've talked about in this teaching? Or has he been sitting on the sidelines because you put him there? Go out and force yourself 
to go and take that plane off so that you can get in the air and hit autopilot so he can work. But if you just stand, sit on the runway and you never take the plane off the ground, he will never be able to engage autopilot. He will never be able to take over the steering wheel and work in and through your life. So brothers sisters, this all will be the next step of maturity and growth for you. It will allow you to fulfill Shavuot in your life, the Holy Spirit's filling in your life, because what use is it that you have him, but you don't use and allow him, use him nor allow him to work in and through you. Proclaim the gospel and he fulfills it. Go and do the simple gospel. Be busy with the Father's simple gospel message, business, the good works that he called us to, and he will come to fulfill it. If you are only ever talking, and I want to say this as I end off because this is an important last note that I think we need to know. If you are only ever distracted by other things, they may be good things, but other things instead of the gospel. If you talk about other things, you don't talk about the gospel of people. If you don't have that word of God going forth, that is the simple gospel of salvation, how Yeshua died for the world and the freedom he brings. If that is not the simple word that you're giving the people, don't expect Holy Spirit to move because he's been sent to fulfill that word. He has not been sent for any other real word to be fulfilled except the gospel message and the truth within our Father's words. He is not there for your agendas. He's not there for your passions if they are not what God told us to be passionate about most of above all else. So go and preach the simplicity, the simple gospel of salvation. Let people come to him through that message and Holy Spirit will be the witness. That's why when I go and I preach the simple gospel, I can go and step out of my comfort zone, step forward and trust in the Father for him to move. And I can be bold because I know he will fulfill the words that I have spoken because he will allow me to have a demonstration of spirit and power to follow my words, but I have to have the words of the simple gospel. But if you never tell anyone about the simple gospel, don't expect Holy Spirit to move in great ways in your life. So brothers and sisters, I want to end this off in just a prayer because I believe that we all desire more Holy Spirit and this feast, what a better time than to pray this prayer right now. So Father, or we just come to you and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gift you've given in Acts 2 and today is just as much alive. I thank you your spiritual gifts and miracles and the power is just as much alive as it was 2000 years ago. And so Lord, I thank you for everyone who's watching God for a baptism of Holy Spirit. Lord, I in fire. Lord, I thank you, God, for your spiritual gifts to manifest in the hearts of everyone listening right now. I thank you, Lord, for a fire to ignite on them, Lord, where they would want to walk and run with your spiritual gifts and for the fires to not go out. In the name of Yeshua, Lord, I thank you for freedom to follow them. I thank you for no more distractions in our lives, but I thank you for helping us focus on your gospel message and the salvation that you come, came to brought us. Lord, we thank you for who you are in the name of Yeshua. Amen. 
I hope that this message has blessed you guys. Have an amazing feast of Shavuot. Please share this message with any friends or family or anyone who you think this might bless. Because the Holy Spirit, this is the time of the Holy Spirit. This is the time when God wants us to start walking in greater manifestation of the Spirit. For how else will the end time world we are living in know of the goodness of our Father? unless we show his heart of love to them.